This is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. It's one of my go-to passages in almost all counseling that I do. This is my, uh, so if you ever go to a wedding that, uh, or a ceremony that I'm a part of or that I'm performing, this is a passage that I will refer to in every wedding ceremony. Um, it, it just kind of is, it encapsulates um, everything that I am, uh, have learned even in my own personal walk with Christ. And I will tell you this now. It is not in Galatians 6, verse 6. <laughs> Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches the word. I'm just going to pass the collection plates again and take up another offering for me. Anybody feel a little uncomfortable? Okay, so I wanted to say that one right out of the gate. Get you ready. I'm going to deal with that, but I, I think we'll be okay. I hope we'll be okay. I'm not asking for any money, I promise. This is not a message on giving. So those of you who are, are guests with us this morning, you're like, oh, I get it. Here he goes. The pastor needs a new jet. Um, no, my current jet is just fine, so there's nothing to worry about. Um, so we're going to get there. It's okay. Uh, I promise that um, it's not going to be quite as awkward as it may seem uh, right out of the gate, but... It may be just as awkward. You never know. We'll see. Um, Galatians. I'll do a quick recap so that we can jump into this thing together and, and see what happens. Galatians is a, a book that, where Paul is angry. Um, we started that at week one. You, you get the picture of Paul's anger in Galatians 1 verse 6 where he says, Man, I am astonished you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel. He said, I cannot believe you foolish Galatians that you have been deceived so much as to latch onto a gospel that is false, a gospel that isn't real. And, and when you know the, the true definition of gospel, it, it's, it's good news. And when, when it's a false good news, that makes it what? Bad news. He says, Galatians, I can't believe you are latching on to such bad news. He walks through and talks about what's kind of led them to that place. He talks about these who have come in and tried to superimpose their rules onto uh, the, the, the Galatians, into the lives of the Galatians. And he say, listen, when you, when you take any external and make that what brings you acceptance in God's eyes, you are about to live a miserable life. Because when your life is all about externals, when your acceptance in God's eyes is based on your externals, then it, 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 there's no true confidence. Because all you need to do is have somebody hit the back of your leg with a shopping cart. Have you ever had that happen? Is that not the most painful injury and the most infuriating thing ever? Particularly when it's one of your own children? <laughs> How did you not see me here? But in that moment, if your acceptance in God's eyes is based on your externals, in that moment, you have just lost the acceptance of God. Paul says, you foolish Galatians, what are you doing? Your acceptance in God's eyes has nothing to do with anything that you have done. Now, as a church, we would cling to that one, right? Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, Titus 3, 5 says. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith and not of works. So we would cling to that one. It's not by anything that I've done that would give me acceptance in God's eyes. But here's the other part that we tend to like, I don't know about that one. It's not because you stay away from doing certain things that you have God's acceptance either. 
So just because you don't smoke or chew or go with girls who do, that doesn't bring you acceptance in God's eyes. Man, let me tell you what brings you acceptance in God's eyes. What brings you acceptance in God's eyes is the finished work of Jesus Christ. What brings you acceptance in God's eyes is, is the continuing work of Jesus Christ on your behalf as he intercedes for you moment by moment as he sits at the right hand of the Father. That's what gives you acceptance in God's eyes. And so as we kind of work through Galatians chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, I'm not going to preach all of them. Um, Gal- Galatians chapter 5, and, and, and I'm going to just, just for... Um, just because I'm, I'm really formal, I'm just going to let the tech guys know that my remote has crashed again. So it's on you guys. Follow along. <laughs> um, the, the, you get to Galatians chapter 5, particularly in verse 13, and he says, You have been called to freedom, my brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So, so what, what, what God is telling us in that moment, he says, I'm going to flesh out what it looks like for you to live a life that is marked by freedom. Not a freedom to do whatever you want, but a freedom to be able to do what you should. And last week we talked about it starting in Galatians 6 verse 1. Brothers, if anybody is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So, so the freedom that we have gives us a freedom to restore the fallen. And he says, listen, the, the restoration process isn't fully described, but the restorer is. And he says, you who are spiritual, you who are walking in step with the Spirit, you who are continuing to yield to the Holy Spirit's influence in your life and allowing him and him alone to, 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 to decide and determine how you react, how you respond, how you speak, how you appear, your behavior, what you do, what you don't do, as you, as you yield to the Holy Spirit and his leading and his guidance in your life, who, who is that supposed to be? Every single one of us in this room. Not the spiritual ninjas, the spiritual everyday common man, the everyday common woman, the everyday common school child. That is who you are called to be and what you are called to do is to walk in the Spirit. So if you are walking in the Spirit, then you are free to restore such a one who has fallen into sin again. And you're supposed to do it with a spirit of gentleness, not a picture of standing there and and doing investigation and trying to find the sin in somebody's life. Because like we talked about last week, that ain't that hard. Uh, Once again, just get the back of somebody's heel. Just hit them with your shopping cart. That's this week's application. We're all going to go to Kenny's or or Food Lion and look for other Uniontowners. We're going to chase them down with our cart to see what comes out of them. (laughs) It's not difficult to have sin just burst forward, but he's saying do it in the spirit of gentleness. In the spirit of 1 Peter chapter 2 where he says, you know, I want you to love well because love covers a multitude of sins. I want you to run to the one who has fallen and instead of lecturing them from your high and holy place, which you actually don't have, it's just something you've concocted in your mind. Instead, what I want you to do is run to that one who has fallen and reach your hand out and say, come on, bro, let's get out of here. I'm with you. Let's go. Let me help you. Let's run. And then you're supposed to do it in the spirit of being careful that you don't approach them with pride or arrogance or conceit. And then we continued on Galatians 6, 2, introduced our second freedom. We're free not only to restore the fallen, but to bear the burdens of the hurting. Bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. We talked about the burden being this, this weight that is impossible for any person to carry by themselves. And you can't help them carry that burden from a distance. You can't stand at the door and look at somebody up here who is trying to lift this impossible weight and just say, good luck. Hope you, uh, good, go, keep trying. 
to know you bear the burdens of one another. In order to bear one another's burdens, you have to be, burdens, you have to be close. So you're going to have to draw near to them. You're supposed to grab onto the burden with them. And when you're close to somebody else's burdens, you're going to get their burden on you. So it could get messy. And in reality, you may not know what in the world you're doing. But you know what you do? You show up. And so the freedom that we have, it frees us to restore the fallen and to bear the burdens. And then we get to our passage this morning. And I'm going to deal with the awkward verse first. I'll be honest with you, in verse 6, I did not intend on dealing with this verse. Uh, I'll confess to you that it is one of the few times that I have ever looked at a verse in Scripture and got ready to preach it and said, I'm skipping that one. Um, And it was funny, it was a very casual and laid-back approach, but one of the elders, we were doing this in a Bible study, one of the elders was like, you're not doing verse 6? I'm like, yeah, no, it's a little awkward. And they're all like, eh, okay. But as soon as that came out of my mouth, it's like, I'm skipping a verse because it's awkward. Oh, no. That's not right. So verse 6 says this, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches them the word. So, you're going to have to bear with me, because for any of you that are familiar with church and their pleas for money, you may hear this and take the wrong idea. I want you to hear me to the end because I think you'll be a little surprised at this. Okay? The freedom that we've been given in Christ also allows us to be free to be generous to those who serve you. Um, and, and I'm going to be honest. It can be a little self-serving to be like, you know, as the one who's teaching you right now, don't, don't forget to share good things with me. God's emphasis on that verse is a priority of teaching the word. So so don't get that out of sorts. What we find in that verse is this. There is such a priority that the word of God be faithfully proclaimed that when it happens, we should respond in our freedom in a spirit of generosity. We should make it such a hallmark of who we are and what we do. It's emphasized because when the word is faithfully proclaimed, the Holy Spirit is busy and active drawing men and women to Jesus Christ. Because men and women come to Jesus Christ not because we have great music, not because we put on a great performance, not because we have wonderful parking. Men and women come to Jesus Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. And so what, the God, what God is saying here is, listen, we, we make this a priority in our life. We make sure that we, we elevate the teaching and preaching of God's word because in and through that, the Holy Spirit works in the hearts and lives of men, women, boys, and girls, and he draws them to Jesus Christ. And I'm going to be completely honest with you and, and transparent. You give me way too much credit on Sundays. Countless times I have people come up to me like, man, It was like you were talking right to me. Like I had a clue. (laughs) The reason we continue to proclaim the word of God is because the word isn't mine. You think I'm the one that applied that to your heart? I mean, I'm pretty amazing and all, but (laughs) you're crazy. Had nothing to do with me. Has everything to do with whose word this is. This is God's word, so as we faithfully proclaim the word of God, and it's not mine, the God whose word it is knows you because he created you. He's with you every day of every week, and he knows exactly what it is you're wrestling with. And so as God beats me up every day of the week as I'm preparing to preach, and if you think I'm making that up, I would invite you into my study time. Maybe not, because I wouldn't get any studies done. Um, it's part of the reason I hide from you all and go to like mysterious places to study with hat, dark glasses, and a, and a fake beard, but 
as I sit there and, 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 and submit myself to the word of God, and I'm reading it, and I'm, I'm wrestling with it, and I have to be careful because if I wrestle with the word of God to come up with a message to preach on Sunday, we're all in trouble. But as I sit there and allow the Holy Spirit to take his finger and in that bittersweet moment press it in my soul, what ends up happening on Sunday is it's just an overflow of how I've gotten my rear end kicked during the week by the Holy Spirit. So don't, don't, be careful not to give me too much credit. God continues to remind me that I need to be in glad submission to him day in and day out. And so what, what God does is he elevates be sure, the, the preaching of the word. Be sure that you hold the preaching and teaching of God's word in high regard and demonstrate your need and appreciation for it in sharing with those who teach you. And so in that vein, I will say to you, thank you. This isn't a begging for money. This is me being appreciative. You guys have taken care of the needs that myself and my family have. And I say, thank you. Some of the greatest ways you, you, you fill me full in this principle is simply by sharing with me what it is that God has done for you this week. It's sharing with me how God continues to work in your heart and life. That's sharing a good thing with me. But I, I don't want to park there. I want to keep going because here's the key point in this. I am not the only one doing it. As you sit here this morning, the few classrooms that we do have are jam-packed full with munchkins. And in those classrooms, you don't have men and women carrying little Johnny around and be like, okay, twinkle, twinkle, little star. No, no, no. Little Johnny's being carried around and he is hearing that there is a God who loves him. Little Johnny is hearing from the, the pipsqueak age of three that Jesus Christ didn't come just so we could have Christmas presents, but that Jesus Christ came to give hope to all. That Jesus Christ came that we might have eternal life. And so let me encourage you, the principle here, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches the word. Share all good things with them. Is there a lonelier place than being in a classroom with 45 third through fifth graders? There is no lonelier place, I promise. If I was in that room, you would come and see me at the end of the class in the corner in the fetal position like, Mommy! It's terrifying! You know what's amazing? They have full-time jobs. Many of them work full-time and yet still find the time to prepare your Bible study in your small group. They find the time to prepare the, the teen lesson on Monday or Wednesday night. They, they are sharing the word, and so we must be good stewards of what it is that God has given us, and in our, the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ, we must share all good things with them, and that can be financial, that can be a good word. I, I'm not sure what it is, so, so today, application-wise, man, so, so say thank you to them. This week, as they, as they come to mind, as the, the teachers of our children come to mind for you, get them a gift card. I don't, buy them a car. I don't know. You're welcome. I thought I'd throw it out there. Anybody listening to the teachers? Thought I'd give it a shot. You never know. If you get a car, let me know, though. Can let me know who it was. No, I'm just kidding. Um, man, write them a note. Say thank you. Do it publicly on Facebook. See, the one who is being taught the word should share all good things with the one who teaches. That's what it means to have a spirit of generosity. May we enjoy that freedom with those outside this room who have dedicated so much time and energy to the teaching of our young people.
the freedom that we have is to, to be generous, but it also gives us a freedom to wait. This is the passage I was talking about earlier where this is the one that just kind of infiltrates all of the counseling that I do. Verse 7 of Galatians chapter 6. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So, so, so really, as we look at this and kind of unpack it, it begins with a warning. And the warning is, hey man, don't be deceived. Now, when you see a do not in Scripture, really there's two reasons. One is because we need to take note, or two, because we are already doing it. So God's saying to us, don't be deceived. Don't be fooled. God is not mocked. You cannot trick God. You cannot do a sleight of hand trick. You cannot do one of those card tricks right in front of his face and be like, and him be like, whoa, you blew my mind. See, but our tendency is to do it with much more spiritual things because it's like, you know, you know uh, uh, so I go to church on Sunday, so that should please God. Come on. Have you even picked up his word to try to read it? I mean, it takes a very simple reading of God's word to know that that isn't going to work. You're not going to trick God, but you're going to live this life over here, and then Sunday from 9 to 11, you're going to live this life, and it's like you're going to show up to heaven, and God's going to be like, hey man, I got some concerns with this, and you're like, but, but look over here, and God chases the shiny thing. Oh yeah, that. Don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. He will not be fooled. If you live a life that sows to the flesh, you're going to end up getting the flesh. You live a selfish life, you will get the fruit of selfishness. Now, this is is a basic principle that many of us, most of us, all of us are familiar with this very basic principle. The seed you plant is going to determine the fruit that you pick, right? Okay, so, so if you plant corn, you're not going to get steak. If you plant an apple seed, and you walk out and there's oranges growing, you got a problem. Now it's, like, it's, it's common sense. Well, of course, no. If you plant apple seed, you get apples. If you, if you plant corn, you get corn. It's not that complicated. The, the, the area of this, and, and, and seriously, we could spend a long time just on this, this chunk, but the area of this that I really want us to focus on is, is the reason why I labeled it as this, we are free to wait, is this next part. Because the other basic principle that gets laid out for us in this is not only the seed you plant determines the, the fruit that you pick, but it's verse 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. The other basic principle is the harvest doesn't come overnight. The, the average, and I, I kind of, I grabbed a whole mess of information and used my, my very sharp-witted mathematical mind and did some math, and the average length from planting to harvesting for most crops is just around three months. Three months. 
After the first week of planting the seed, do you have full confidence that it's going to take root and grow and blossom into something that's going to give you fruit? Nope. See, see, but you planted the seed. So... Let, 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 me, let, me, let, me, let me lay it out this way. So you've planted the seed, and let's, let's extrapolate this and go to our application. If, if, if you're planting the seed in your life and things are going good, then what should you do? Don't stop sowing good seed. See, our tendency is to plant the seed, things go well, and we're like, yes, and we rest because there's great fruit coming. And so we just start becoming fruit addicts and we stop planting seed. You know where you see this most often is most often you see this in engaged couples. Because when they're dating, you're putting on all of the happy faces you can. You, you're, you are covering a multitude of sins of your, um, your dating partner just because you're like, ah, if I pitch a fit over that, I may end up single. Um, and so you're sowing all of the good seeds, doing all the good things, and you're going on all the fun dates, and you're investing in each other, and you're writing each other goofy little d- disgusting notes. You're talking on the phone for hours. Hours. You're showing up whenever you can show up. You're buying flowers for no reason. You're baking cookies just because. See, you're sowing all of these seeds and the natural outcome of sowing those good seeds in a, in a dating relationship is that it continues, it continues. You get to the place like, man, this is, this is the one. I, I think I'm going to propose. And then he gets on his knee and no longer does he just get on a knee. Now it's got to be a stinking theatrical production. It's ridiculous. It's trapeze, costumes, musical scores. I mean, the whole nine yards. But now he, gets, and he proposes and oh, it's so wonderful. And, and they have the perfect relationship at that moment, right? And then they start planning the wedding. And I don't mean this to offend, but it's real. Anybody in here, dude, you're getting ready? You don't get a choice how the wedding goes, bro. Your answer from now on is yes. And, <laughs> that's right. and, if, and if they say, do you have an opinion? The right next question is, do you want me to have an opinion? And ladies, I'll be honest with you. If you want him to have an opinion, tell him. If you don't, be like, yeah, I don't really care. And then he can say, good, because I don't care. But the problem becomes, there's no more goofy notes. The phone calls are now all about the wedding. Cookies? I haven't seen a cookie in weeks. Flowers, I got some dandelions on the front lawn. Right? And suddenly there becomes some tension in their relationship. And they look at each other like, what has become of us? How did this happen? I have a suggestion. So good seeds in that relationship. One of the biggest jokes in a marriage relationship is that first year marriage is just World War III. Can I tell you why that is? Is because the weeks and months leading up to the wedding, do you know what every single part of your conversation is about? The wedding. 
And so you know what's going to happen? The wedding is going to be the good fruit of everything you've sown. And it's wonderful. It's amazing. It's, it's a, look at this wedding. It went exactly the way we wanted it to. It was everything we had dreamed it would be. And then the day after the wedding, you're on your honeymoon, you're like, the wedding sure was great, wasn't it? Because you've already picked the fruit. So good seeds. When it's going well, don't stop sowing seeds. When it's not going well, don't stop sowing seeds. When it's not going well, don't give up. Don't faint. That's what he says in verse 9. Don't grow weary of doing good. In due season, at just the right time, you're going to reap as long as you don't give up. Don't give up. I know how hard it is right now. I, I know how miserable it is right now. Don't give up. I don't know. Okay, so if you're here this morning and your relationship and your marriage is, is just hanging on by threads, don't give up. Sow good seeds. Own it, man. I, one of the best things you can do, not only as a, as, a, as a husband or a wife, but as a mom or a dad, is to stop the cycle. I just said this yesterday. It's funny. Just got to stop the cycle. I just keep doing this, and in my arrogance, instead of owning it, I just keep making it worse. And what you got to do is step out of it and be like, okay, well, stop, stop, stop. I am being an idiot, and I am sorry. Moms and dads, when's the last time you apologized to one of your children? Do you not think they know you're wrong? They know. I promise. You want to completely change the relationship and be humble. Sow good seeds. Stand before your son or daughter and say, listen, I'm the only one that's trying to fool anybody in this part. Because I'm a sinner and you just got to see it. And I am wrong. And I sinned against you, not just general. I sinned against you when I lost my temper and screamed at you. I sinned against you when I slammed the door shut. I sinned against you when I didn't keep my promise to you. And I need your forgiveness. See, when it's not going well, you continue to sow good seed. And, and I know mm, there are a lot of people sitting here, whether it be husband and wife or it be mom and dad and their children, and, and the, the cry of the heart is, I'm trying. I'm trying. Psalm 126, and I'll just read pieces of it to you, but Psalm 126 would be a great psalm for you to look at. The psalmist begins by talking about this return to Zion. And the idea, the context of it seems to be one where the children of Israel have been taken into captivity and suddenly they wake up. It's like they were in a bad dream. And they wake up and they're suddenly brought back to Zion. They're living in the land again. They're back. Everything's being given to them. Their fortunes are being renewed. There's laughter and there's joy. And, 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 and the, the, the nations look at them as they return. And the nations are saying, the nation's testimony about these people is, wow, the Lord has done some great things for them. Their own testimony is, the Lord has certainly done some great things for us. The picture in verse 5 and 6 really is the picture of don't give up, don't faint, don't stop sowing good seed. And it's this picture of a farmer in verse 5 who sows in tears. Let me read the verses. Those who sow in tears will reap 
with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. So, so picture it. It's an illustration. And it's a powerful illustration. Imagine f- famine and drought. A totally failed crop. And in, in their situation, and many of our situations, that is total financial ruin. That's worse than the, 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 the stock market crashing. And so here's the farmer, and he has a single bag of seed left. Nothing else. And he walks into his field, and he knows that if this seed doesn't take, we're done. No food, no money. We may we starve. And yet he also knows that a seed that isn't put in the ground will never bear fruit. And all he knows to do is to take a handful of the seed and throw it in the ground. And the picture that he says here, the, the, the one who is sowing in tears, the one who goes out weeping and he's bearing the, the seed for sowing is the picture of that farmer with his, his bag of seed and he's walking and he's like, Lord, I got nothing else. This is all I know to do. For many of us, that's the picture of many of our relationships right now. God, I don't know. This is the only thing I know to do. I got nothing else. What God's telling us in Galatians 6 is, in due season, at just the right time, you will reap if you don't give up. As long as you keep throwing that seed See, see, the problem is, is we live in this visible um, results culture. We've defined success as the things that we can see. We, we've defined success as the, the things that have come to fruition, when in fact the picture in Scripture uh, and the definition of success in Scripture is this, long obedience in the same direction. Long obedience in the same direction. That's success. Here's the crazy part about that. That is exactly what the world defines as insanity. Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. That's the, the world's definition of insanity, isn't it? God says, no, 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 no. That's success. When you continue to sow the seed, even though there's days you are sobbing as you do it, what you are doing is, doing is entrusting the entire process. You're entrusting your success to the hands of your sovereign God who has promised that his word will never return void. Be careful about putting too much stock in visible results because you've been made free to wait You've been made free to trust that God's basic principles are true and they're going to remain true and they most certainly will come to pass. And Paul wraps it up in verse 10 and he says, So then, 
as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Listen, in Jesus Christ, you have now been set free to bless those people who are around you. So, so, so then, as you have opportunity, what opportunity do you have to do good to people? What opportunity set right before you do you have that, 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 that you can use to bless other people? And it's real simple, and let me, let me just kind of throw six areas at you. You ready? I mean, these are, these are very simple areas where I, don't, I just don't have time for this. You don't need to have time for this. It's where you live. It's at your home. It's in your school. It's at your workplace. It's in your immediate community with your neighbors. It's in the businesses that you frequent. It's in the community at large as you go to a kid's soccer game or a basketball game and you, you come across these same parents time and time again. In those six areas, you're just living life and those are the opportunities that God has placed right before you and only you to do good to them. See, those, those, those uh, relationships are, are yours and uniquely yours. They're not the ones that I'm going to have. I'm going to have different relationships, and, and we're all going to have different relationships. It's almost like God has a plan. Go figure, huh? And so he has placed each and every one of us in a unique situation where we can do good to others. So, so before you start looking to make a worldwide impact, should probably be obedient where you are. Because I'm not the first to say this, nor will I be the last. If you're not having an impact in obedience where you are right now, you'll never do it on a grander scale. If you don't learn two plus two equals four, man, trigonometry is way out of your league. So be faithful with the opportunity that is right before you. And then Paul says, not only to these who are just around you, but in particular to those who are of the household of faith. In particular to those who are in your local church. So this, this goes back to having the freedom to restore the one who has fallen. This goes back to uh, restoring or bearing the burdens of those around you. This goes back to chapter 513 where you were called to freedom, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity for your flesh. But, but instead, through love, serve one another. So your freedom isn't you, so you can do whatever you want. Your freedom is that you can do whatever you should be doing. It's, it's taking the comfort that you've experienced and using it to comfort other people. That's how you take your unique opportunity. And, and, and I'm going to be very direct. That cannot happen as you sit in here every week to listen to me and that's all you've got. That can't happen that way. I mean, we, we were not created to be solo creatures. Look at the, the, the creation account with Adam. God brings every creature in front of him, every animal in front of Adam, and he names every single one of them because God was looking for one that would bring him good companionship. And after all of the animals had passed by Adam, God's like, yep, there is none there. Which is, by the way, the scriptural reason my children don't have pets. You're welcome, Mom and Dad. You can use that. <laughs> But then God says, this, this, this Adam, this, this being, because he is made in my image, is a relational being. And I will bring him one. I will create one for him to put him in relationship with. So we are all relational 
creatures. We are all relational beings. In fact, Proverbs 18.1 says, the one who isolates himself breaks out against all sound judgment. We weren't created to be solo creatures. We were created to be within this community. And so I know some of you are like, yeah, I know, but if we had small groups in Sunday school, then everything would be great. Yeah, okay, fine. Those aren't the magic bullet. If you're not, it's the same thing. I'm going to be real faithful in, in Europe, and you never talk to your neighbor here. Well, if I had Sunday school and community groups, then you would be isolated inside of Sunday school and community groups. You must leave the comfort zone of your chair and invest in relationships with other people. James tells us this would look like caring for those widows and orphans in their own affliction. I'll just say it this way. Our goal should be that when we continue to do good to those within our sphere of influence, within our opportunities, within our lives, when we obey God in that way and in our freedom serve other people in that way, that the entire community knows that Jesus moved in. So, restoring, bearing, giving, waiting, blessing are all actions that our freedom allows us and even motivates us to. Not, not out of fear, but out of an understanding of all the good things that we have in Jesus Christ. It's, it's, it's coming to an understanding, a true understanding, and knowing fully that I was separated from God because of my sin. And, and I was completely helpless to do anything about it myself. But God loved me. And he sent his son to die in my place. Jesus Christ. Who rose from the dead and conquered sin and the grave forever. It's, it's understanding that because of what Jesus did, there is nothing I do or there's nothing that I don't do that'll make me more accepted in God's eyes. It's knowing that God himself has declared me not guilty and forever justified. It's knowing that God himself has adopted me as his own. It's in that truth that I find the freedom to do these things, freedom to celebrate my identity in Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this. Is that your identity this morning? Are you his? If not, then right now as God's working in your heart, yield to him. Submit to him. Call on his name. Confess that Jesus is the son of God who came to rescue you from your sin. If that is your identity this morning, if you are in Jesus Christ, if you are free because of what Christ accomplished for you, then, then may your freedom in Jesus drive you to love and serve him and those he's given you to love and serve. May we run off this hill, not just to get out of church, but to love those who are at the bottom of it. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your great love. Um, and I'll be completely honest, that is a colloquialism for us. <laughs> I think sometimes we completely overlook the depth of your love. So this morning, I pray you would captivate our hearts and our attentions 
I pray that you would grab our imagination and cause us to reflect on what it is that you've done for us in Jesus Christ. And so that if there are people here whose identity isn't in Jesus, Lord, may today be the day they come to know him. May today be the day that they they humbly bow their knee before him and call on his name and accept him as their rescuer, as their redeemer, as as their savior. And then for those of us who have known you for a long time, God, I know we get comfortable, we get complacent. Lord, help us to to wash in the truth of what it is you've saved us from so that we might willingly and gladly and enthusiastically reach those of our community. Lord, may we make much of you and less of ourselves. In Jesus' good name I pray, amen.